Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call. Get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Okay, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Here's Saul Tlamachia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Bradford. Baseball isn't boring. Yeah, here we go. Regular season. Games count. We've gone through this. Off-season. WBC. Spring training. The whole ball of wax. Now we are ready for Baseball Isn't Boring podcast to actually exist during the regular season. We started well into the last season. Like, well, when I talk about well into last season, I'm talking about the last few games of the World Series. But now we're going through a season. And we are so proud that we're going to be going through this season with our great friends at FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment matter. And you know what? We've made every moment matter. Every single moment. We've tried to. And today's no different. As we head from spring training, which as we sit here is over, done, over. As we sit here, and now we're making the transition from spring training into opening day, I wanted to talk to a decision maker, an executive, a guy who built a team, and now has to look at that team and see what the team does in the regular season. This is a weird few days, a weird few hours between... Oh, well, that's what we did in spring training. That's what we saw to, here we go. These games really count. This is what we put together. So, representing all executives today, Chief Baseball Officer of the Boston Red Sox, Haim Bloom, making a second appearance on the Baseballs and Boring Podcast. We appreciate Haim doing that and giving us the what's what when it comes to how an executive, how a GM looks at heading into opening day, looks at heading into the vision of the reality. 
uh, vision of reality. I don't even know what that means. But what, I, what I'm trying to say, the vision of the reality is here was the vision. Now here is the ra- reality. And that is the team that has taken the field and actually has to play games that count. Well, I, again, I wanted to ask Heim. I wanted to ask all executives about this. It's, it, it must be it, a very anxious process because you go through the entire offseason, even before that. You have planning. How are we going to be better in 2023? Okay, now we get to the offseason. We go through free agency. We go through trades. We, now we go through spring training, and we see these guys. And here you land. Here you land at 2023 regular season. Well, Heim's always, as always, he's great. So listen, rate, review, subscribe. We appreciate everybody. Go the at BB is in boring social accounts. Go also swing juice, buy the gear, wear it proudly. If you're going to opening day, wear it proudly. Baseball isn't boring. You see it all over the place. You see it in clubhouses. You see it in stands. You see it all over the place. Buy the book. A damn near perfect game. It's also doing really, really well. We're happy about that. We're happy about everything. And we're happy about today's podcast. Today's podcast, Red Sox Chief Baseball Officer Heimblum. He's back. Heim, how are you? I'm good. It's good to be here with you. Oh, my goodness. And you aren't wearing a T-shirt. Can you get one of your kids in wearing their baseballs and boring T-shirts? I don't know if they've got them. On right now, I don't think they wore them to, to school today. Oh, well, that's good. Sure they're wearing they're to school. Right they're, they're wearing them out in public. That's good. That's good. Um, so I I just want to get your perspective and um, from it, as we sit here, spring training is officially over. It's over. It's over. We made it. I mean, we haven't. We weren't. We weren't stretched out for these spring training time. I mean, we haven't had one of these in a while. It felt long, didn't it? You know, normally I would say yes. I actually felt like this one went by, uh, you know, good pace of game. Um, There is usually this time in the middle of spring training when it really starts to drag. And not that, you know, the last obviously week plus you're getting to the end and now you're really just counting the days. You know, you have some tough decisions to make, uh, but you just want to get to the starting gate. But usually there's a doldrums period in the middle. I didn't feel that this year. I don't know why. Um, but, uh, you know, it was long, but it, it, it never felt like it wasn't moving anywhere. Did you feel like talking to other, um, you know, executives, I, I, I want to say GMs, you're not a GM, but I'm just, I'm just going to say GM. Okay. Other GMs, chief decision makers, chief baseball officers. Um, when you talk to other executives, did you get that same sense that this, the same feeling that you had? I think it kind of depended who. Um, I actually talked to some of our people just in different roles here that seemed to sort of feel the same way. Um, I think it depended on the, the, the camp and kind of the, where everybody was. Um, not only physically, I just mean what they were looking to accomplish in camp and, uh, you know, what they needed to use it for other than obviously just to get players ready for the season. Uh, I think in our case, some of it, obviously we, we we've had, we have a very different group. And it it was fun the whole spring really being around the group. And especially for me personally, this is the first kind of normal cadence beginning to end spring training that I have had here. Mm. And I've been waiting for this. And so, you know, as much as you have your eye on something bigger, I kind of felt like 
this was an opportunity to just take in and 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 try to use you know to to the fullest the, just the different things that a spring training can provide do you remember it you're like oh yeah this is what it feels like yeah, there. You know, it's early part of camp. I think it can be really special because everybody's just coming together. Um, you know, every conversation's a positive conversation. Um, you know, it's a little more leisurely. You're kind of getting to know everybody who's new. Uh, and you know, we didn't have that last year because it was all compressed. The year before, there were so many protocols. Minor leaguers weren't here, and just coming out of the organizational meetings that we had going into spring training, we had a lot of momentum to build on. And this, other than those meetings, this is the time when we have everybody uh, under one roof or as close to everybody as we're going to get. And we kind of got to open the doors fully. We had scouts floating in and out. Um, you know, we had our alumni back, mm. right? We had Jim Rice, we had Dwight Evans, we had Louie uh, around almost daily, not mm. to mention some of the other guys that were floating in and out. That's part of the special thing of working in baseball and especially working for the Boston Red Sox. We didn't have that and i hadn't really experienced that and it was it was a blast so but you know the, the thing is it, it was normal but there was because because we can't just have complete normalcy there was it wasn't totally normal because of wbc right yeah. so yeah and, 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 on, and honestly i'm like this is a thing every year is different but you know why okay march 11th covid we get it done then last year lockout shortened spring training this year, as we have said, full spring training, but WBC and, by the way, let's throw like a, a thousand rules at you that you have to get used to. So uh, so those were the things that you sort of had to adjust to, I guess, on the fly a little bit, right? Yeah, but you know what? I, I think we were well equipped for that uh, for a bunch of reasons. Obviously, the group of people that we have in the organization, everybody taking it with a positive mindset. Uh, look, the new rules, obviously, there's some stuff to get used to. But if you're a baseball rat, you like kind of wrapping your mind around these things and figuring out how they can help you. And we have a lot of, of baseball rats in this organization, uh, starting with our manager. So, you know, it was something that the group embraced and we had fun with. And, and the WBC, too. Yeah, sure. Look, anybody who sits here in a position like mine and tells you they're not gritting their teeth at least a little bit seeing your <laughs> guys compete at that level of intensity in March is probably just lying to you. But you know, and we're fortunate, obviously, we got everybody through it who went um, unscathed. But in, in our camp, the WBC was celebrated. Yeah. Right. Um, the stuff that uh, that Alex had those guys do before they left with the presentations, you know, it sounded funny and there were parts that were funny, but it was also great for the group. And then, you know, when guys were gone, we followed them, we cheered them on. When they came back, they got the hero's welcome. Uh, and it just added to the atmosphere. And I think in a lot of ways, even though guys were in and out, I think the fact that this was going on and and you could see, you know, it, you could see our group kind of rooting for each other, unless mm -hmm. they were direct competition has happened sometimes at the WBC. I think honestly, even though we, from a baseball standpoint, we didn't have our whole group together until near the end, just from a team bonding standpoint, it became part of uh, how this group came together. Was there, like you talking about toward the end, you do have to sort of, there is something to be said for having everybody together and why all those things are true that you said. There's a celebration and I mean, you can't, nobody's going to go in there and say that wasn't cool saying, seeing a teammate that they had just got to know and Yoshida had this momentous occasion at the WBC on this huge stage. That was cool for everybody. But at the same time, you want to see your team. 
right? Yeah. And you saw it for what? A, uh, a week? A week? Yeah, just about that. Yeah. You know, obviously, it wasn't until really the last week that we really had some kind of consistency with the lineup. And that's part of it. Um, look, am I going to sit here and tell you we won't feel that at all going into the season? We might. But, um, you know, I think I give our staff a lot of credit. I give our players a lot of credit just working through it as as well as possible. And again, you know, so much of this, um, yeah, when people have asked me about this group going into the season, the first thing I say is I think this is going to be a fun team. And I do. And and I think part of that is I think they're ready to they're going to compete. Right. But they're ready to enjoy this. And I do think we were able to do that through the WBC in some ways. And uh, it felt to me some of the these guys that left, like you think about someone like Massa, right, who's new not only to our team, but also new to, to Major League Baseball. Mm. He came here early, um, was such a part of the group, just mixed in so well with the group that even by the time he left, and remember he left before everybody else did because he had to get back over the Pacific. By the time he left, it was like he was already a, a, a part of the team. And so coming back in and playing all the way till the end as he did and then coming back in, it was pretty seamless. Obviously, there's some particulars of playing in front of the wall, um, things well, like that. Well, he had that. to run. So I said this to Cora just now. He had, to, he literally had to learn how to run down to first on walks, right? Because <laughs> he had all the gear. Yeah. So, so it's, yeah, so little things, I guess. These guys are going to adjust, and there's, there's adjustments for everybody. You know, obviously, for someone like him, look, adjusting to Major League Baseball, adjusting to uh, playing in Boston on at the end of March, it, you know, it's going to be cold, right? That That's going to be an adjustment. But I feel like all the adjustments he had to make this spring, the the the, the level of competition uh, and just the size of the stage at the World Baseball Classic, like I, I think that is going to help him going into the season and trying to make the adjustments that he now has to make over the course of the next seven months. Okay, so the, I know you're going to answer this, but I have to – yes, it was awesome. He comes back. He's a shot in the arm. Like, holy mackerel, this guy is good. But at the same time, like, I worry that all the adjustments that you talk about, a new player in Boston everything, that he goes back, hey, you know what? And, he, and for the last game of spring training, hits went out as well. Hey, come on. Keep hitting those home runs in, in April. And February. Like, what, what What's going on? You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. that's. That's the tough part, right? Obviously, we'll we'll address that if it happens. Look, that can happen to anybody. Um, this guy's such a professional hitter. You, yeah. you got to see it. He has such a great approach. He's is so he better than you? Is he better than you thought? Like, so that's the thing that you're coming back. Is he better than you thought? I mean, it's still March. We're not ready to say any of that yet. We obviously like him quite a bit. Uh, that's why okay. we did what we did. I would just say he's gotten a chance in the stages he's played on, whether here in our camp whether uh, at the WBC, he has shown what we saw and the things that made us believe in him uh, as a hitter, just every aspect of a complete hitter. And obviously, we're just getting started here. So, you know, I, I think any sweeping judgments you make in spring training, they're almost always, you know, some of them are going to end up being right, because if you say enough things, some of them are going to be right. But um, they're usually, it's usually not a good idea to do that. It's just nice that he did show everything that we have seen. I just realized that I just said, well, we shouldn't hype the guy up too much. And then I said, is he better than you thought? So I basically. <laughs> I'm uh, just yeah. happy we're sitting here on March 28th. You're asking me that question. It's good. Though. Yeah, you. it's a good question to ask. Um, so to go back to the rules thing, like you said, I, I've enjoyed, I, I enjoyed 
to your point, playing a lot. I was frustrated by some, and I think a lot of people are frustrated by little bits of it and how they're being enacted and so forth and so on. But you go into a spring and you think you have a vision of the rules. What is the rule or what is the thing that you're like, oh, I didn't really anticipate that or or that sort of evolved in a way that I didn't think? I think it's been a lot of little things rather than one big thing. Uh, I do think the rules are pretty well designed uh, and, and they've been thought through really well. But as we start actually playing games, we can sort of see some of the things that are going to fall out of these rules that we just have to be attentive to as an industry. We're going to keep seeing those, right? Anytime you do anything in baseball nowadays with uh, 30 teams competing like crazy to win, you're going to run into some unintended consequences, consequences, excuse me. And MLB has done a great job so far staying in front of those. We should buckle up because once these games start mattering in the standings, the reactions are going to be a little different. We're going to have to go through another acclimation period. We will get through that. And we just have to you know, keep, keep our eyes where they belong. But there's going to be some adjustments. I mean, even little things. Obviously, we saw so many different you know, things around the, the, uh, the pitch timer and you know, even like the disengagement rule. That doesn't exist uh, for no reason. It exists because otherwise stepping off would just be an eternal loophole around the pitch timer. Well, now you have sort of a cottage industry around strategy around the disengagements and strategy around the, uh, you know, the potential third disengagement. Uh, you know, the, uh, the bat boys, who would have thought, right? But now bat boys, this is a thing because there's 30 seconds in between plate appearances. So if a guy hits double, you know, you might have to think, geez, I don't necessarily have time to get my stuff back to the first base coach, have the bat boy come out to the first base coach and get the stuff because the first base coach has to get the signs. Mm. So all this stuff has to happen. And again, we, we make adjustments, we get through it. It's going to be just fine. But as we're going through this, there are just there's a lot of little things that are going to matter that that we're all learning in real time and, and being attentive to as we we see these play out. So have you had the bat boys like running wind sprints? Like you, you do. You, by the way, last check, you did have a fifty-year-old bat boy, so in Chris Cundiff. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, there have been some jokes about that, but I think we're doing okay. But you know, I've actually heard some comments here and there. Some of the guys we had, obviously, the guys that were down with us uh, in Fort Myers, um, it, it, talking about some of the adjustments they've made and just learning the preferences of certain staff and the preferences. Uh, players and there's been good communication between our coaching staff and the bat boys and obviously then you go on the road and it changes and everybody's going to have have to help everybody out Mm. Uh, the league has gotten in front of this and the league has put out some parameters and you know there's going to be a mechanism to make sure that nobody's uh you know trying to gain a competitive advantage through this that obviously is not what the rule is about do you do you travel will you travel your own bat boys well right now we're not making any changes on that front obviously I, I think the hope is that this will become a non-issue, but uh, you know we'll have to see how it goes. Okay, this is a wonky question in terms of the shift stuff, but I've watched so many of these games. I, I've noticed people thought there was no shift; they thought it was just going to be like you know little league, you know second yeah. base, shortstop, third base, first base. But obviously, you still have the guy as close to second base as possible. But initially, I saw what I thought was a lot of balls getting through the shifts. And it made me think, you know, you have your models when it comes to positioning guys, but you have the models that were under the old rules. Was Did you find there was an adjustment 
just with a tweak and not being able to shift the guy over a little bit. Am I explaining this right? I mean, yeah, I think I know what you're saying. Yeah. I, I don't think we have enough sample yet. I mean, look, most of the reasons that team shifted is because generally speaking, hitters aren't really able to fine tune, you know, their, their batted balls to that degree. So usually, you know, you would think, okay, if that were the case, then shifts, shift tendencies would constantly be adjusted because guys could always, you know, hit them where they ain't. Right. Mm-hmm. But by and large, that doesn't happen, especially in counts where guys are trying to do damage. So, you know, we'll see. Um, and there's some nuances here too, right? Because shifts, just because you're there, there's some balls. We see these, we saw these every once in a while in the old rules. Sometimes there would be a ground ball hit into the shift that would get through where if you had actually been playing traditionally, you might have had somebody there, but now we got three guys over there and one of them is in short right. And so you push the other two guys closer to first and second and some some other balls got through or at least got in the outfield where even the guy the guy in right field couldn't make a play on it in time. So, you know, there's going to be some give and take with this. I think we'll see as as we get into it. Uh, but my guess is for the most part. Uh, one of the takeaways of the the shift era was guys are who they are from a hitter perspective. And you might make adjustments based on the pitcher. Sometimes you make adjustments based on the situation. If guys have shown that they can adjust based on the situation, but uh, you know, it's really hard to totally change who you are as a hitter once you get to the major leagues. And that's part of why shifts were effective. Talking to other executives or just talking amongst your own people. Do you think that the player acquisition, um, Priority the the players that you were prioritizing acquiring because of how you think baseball is right. So um, we all knew that base uh, stolen bases were probably going to be emphasized more things like that. But now we've gone through a whole spring training. Do you sense it like players are valued about what you thought they would be um, at by the time the season began? I don't think it's changed that much on that front yet. But that could have that could be different. You know when we see how the season plays out. Uh, you know, in our case, we really tried not to stray too much from the fundamentals of what the game is, because I do think ultimately, if we end up at some point, you know, with a brand of baseball that we say this, this is what it's supposed to be like, I think it's going to be more similar to a lot of just the fundamental tenets of the game that that we all knew as kids. Um, so I don't think we should stray too far from that. Obviously, you make adjustments, you look at, you know, okay, might this hitter benefit a little bit or get hurt a little bit? you know, on a relative basis. So we obviously did that, but I don't think it changed that much. I mean, some of it might've been a timing thing. Like for instance, I think if you're talking about rules that benefit um, athletes, that benefit Mm -hmm. guys who have a knack to steal a bag, but might not have been piling up huge stolen base totals. um, Obviously we already had Trevor Story here, right? And he's he's probably like as, as well suited to benefit from those things as anybody I can think of. So it didn't really play a huge role in acquisition strategy. But I do think it might impact how teams take care of their players. You know, I think on the pitching side, uh, it might impact how players condition mm. uh, because, you know, there's not as much uh, time organically to get a break. Um, you know, those are things we'll have to watch out for. But yeah, time and again, you stray too far from the fundamentals of baseball. Somehow the game finds a way to just reach up and and and, and bite you. Yeah, you know what? I mean, you, 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 you brought something up, which I've – we can see pitchers working out and – and doing sprints and everything else. And you realize that to, that your point, I think the pitchers are going to have to be in better condition than ever, right? Ever. Like there's, there's no time to regroup. There's no time to do the Ricky Bobby, lower the heart rate. There's no time to do, you know, you have to go, 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 go. And 
And the, it's no longer, and I know this was going this way anyway, where you're not going to have the Roger Clemens putting the, on the rubber suit and running three miles, but it's more sprint stuff anyway. But did, but did you get the sense that like, okay, we got to really get our pitchers in, in, in short burst conditioning mode, right? Yeah, it's already uh, to a large degree kind of how you condition your guys. I mean, obviously starters, there's a stamina factor as well. Um, so, you know, I think, conditioning programs in the industry, I do think are well suited for this. It just might put a bigger premium on on making sure, you know, a year-round basis, honestly, that guys are are ready. And I do think having had the pitch clock in the minor leagues and generally those guys being younger, the more the players integrate in the game uh, at the highest level, I, I don't I don't see that being too much of an issue over time. I just think in the short run it might turn up the dial on on the importance of that. Yeah, like Kenley, I was talking to Kenley today. And obviously he works, he's, he probably worked too hard the other day, but he's, he's working really, really hard. And he threw three warm up pitches the other night. And I asked him about it. He's like, no, cause I'm, I'm just, I'm pounding it in the bullpen so I can take my time, get to the mound and not worry about, not prioritize making that my warm up. You know, that's, that was interesting to me. So yeah, there's different adjustments everybody's going to make. And, uh, you know, and, and on top of it, as a closer, you, you, you're getting your checked for uh, substances too on your way in. Mm. Um, and that adds time also, although obviously that's, that's the way they need to do it. So, you know, different guys will make adjustments. Kenley, someone who's so thoughtful about everything that he does. Um, you talked to him about pitching and, uh, there's a lot of thought, a lot of awareness that goes into everything he's doing to get ready, everything his body is doing when he's on the mound. Um, that is part of, you know, I, I got asked about this uh, actually this morning uh, at the ballpark. We had the mayor there. And one thing I said there, which I believe, is when you look at Major League Baseball players, you are looking at some of the elite, elite adjustment makers on planet Earth. That is why they are at that level. The, the cliche of baseball being a game of, of adjustments is true. Of course, it's also, you know, a very routine-oriented game. But... I do think, you know, this game, these rules, just like any change is going to, is going to push some guys in different ways. But I, I do think as a group, they'll adjust because that's what they do. You know, the, the one constant in this game, we live this all the time as a front office. It's not a question of like, you know, Hey, is change, is, is change going to happen? Is it not? You know, is it, is it change is always happening? Uh, you know, it's a one, it's a beautiful game. It's an amazing game, but there's always changes happening to this game. And, there is no avoiding that. So the question is, how are you going to embrace it? How are you going to make it work for you? All right. So I want to talk at the end of spring training. We and we talked a little bit just hanging out the other day about trades. I always find it interesting how how GMs, how executives view not over not panicking about a roster, not overvaluing a roster at the spring training. We go through spring training and we desperately try not to overreact a thing. Yes, you are not going undefeated, even though you guys started what it was nine and zero or whatever it was. Sorry, sorry, I knew that wasn't happening. But people are like, yes, yes, that there it is. Um, but so, from your perspective, you look at a roster, and I'm not just talking about this roster. I'm talking about your time in Tampa, all, your entire career. Um, how hard is it not to, to not to like pull the trigger on a trade? And and remind me, I mean, did you you've made trades at the end of spring training, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, here and there, uh, and sometimes they're not necessarily trades. You know, sometimes this time of year, obviously, guys come available on contractual clauses or you know DFA's waiver type things. Yeah, I, look, this is a time where there's a lot of action out there. I 
I don't think we should ever just kind of put down the phone, so to speak. Like, I think we have to always be on the lookout for things that could help us. It can be disruptive if it's, if it's not, you know, the right time for something, but yeah, this is, I have to have had experience doing that. Uh, I told you the other day, in fact, somebody who's on our roster now, um, uh, Rob Ref Snyder, we we got him uh, with the Rays. Uh, I think on opening day or just before opening day is kind of a last last minute addition to our roster. So that does happen sometimes, and sometimes you can find players who really help you. How long how long do you like to get into a season before you sort of defined what you have? I know that's a broad question. And I know that sort of like there's there's a trade there's a, the industry sort of standard thing for that, whatever it is. But I, you know, for instance, um, the example that I always give that you going way back to 2003, uh, where Theo they they needed a closer, or actually they needed a pitcher. I'm sorry, young young Kim. So and they had a pretty good hitter in Shea Hillenbrand. They they make that trade in May. I mean that's a that's a fairly significant trade, and that's a million examples. But how far in the season do you like to get before you sort of start defining your team? Yeah, good question. I, I, you know, obviously it's easy. You know, there's a famous quote: "It's easy to break it down this way." The first third is about seeing what right. you have. The middle, the middle third is about you know trying to get what you need, and then obviously the last third is uh, you go play. You try to make that push. I, I think that's kind of useful shorthand, but the way I view it is the reality is you're just always learning. And some of it's a timing thing about the readiness of certain guys. I think sometimes those, those quote unquote baseball trades, right? Where it's big leaguer for big leaguer, need for need. Those are sometimes easier to do at any time because they don't require teams to define themselves as quote unquote buyers or sellers in order to make moves. Um, you know, spring training, the same thing is true, but obviously it's a different competitive environment. So it's much easier to be wrong when you react to spring training, I think. Um, but you know, does, is there a magical point in the season where all of a sudden, okay, now we know enough? No, I don't really think it works like that. I think you you get a little more information every day, but I think more important than that, your circumstances change. And so it's really, to me, reacting to the circumstances you're in, that may dictate the right time to, to do something, uh, you know, to pull the trigger on something, to give somebody, a, somebody new a shot. Um, you know, sometimes injuries take it out of your hands and they kind of push your roster around in different ways. And you have to be reactive to those. But, you know, to me, you should always be learning. Like if you focus on when's the right time, you might miss the right time or mm-hmm. you might do something before you should and have, you know, to, to uh, be, be, be too quick on on, a, on the trigger and maybe not give someone enough of a chance. Um, I think you got to take every situation individually, uh, you know, work through things in a smart way and, you know, just try to maximize the whole roster to give you as many wins as you can. Who's a guy who's a lesson that you have that you, 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 you were patient and that you can always sort of default to. I remember waiting out that guy, waiting out that guy and then boom, it worked out. Well, sometimes it's not necessarily that you like there, there have been players where you might, it might take years to materialize. They might go up and down during that time. Um, there's some very highly touted players here over the years, uh, a couple of players on the last championship team that as young players, you know, they might have burst on the scene and been great and then struggled for a while. And I'm sure people were ready to give up on them and, you know, sticking with them um, really benefited the team. Uh, you know, I like I, I one that comes to mind for me a long time ago 
you know, with the Rays is Ben Zobrist, who took a while to establish himself. Mm. Did a lot of really good things in the minor leagues. It took a few different stints to establish himself. You know, sometimes it just doesn't click. Sometimes a guy learns something, makes an adjustment. Sometimes there's mental growth. You know, we talk, look at those young pitchers last year. I'm hopeful they're going to show this year that they have come out of those experiences with something different and that they learn something. And, you know, it, it's, it's not necessarily that, you know, again, there's some magical switch that flipped. It's a constant process of just trying to be your best self and become a big leaguer. And you you have to try to go back to what are the building blocks of successful players. If those building blocks are there, uh, it, it makes sense sometimes to be patient. But I, what I should say is that's not a passive process, right? You don't just sit back and say, well, let's wait, let's wait, let's wait. Any good staff is always going to be pushing to try to help players get better. And obviously that's one of the ways we compete is to try to do that as well as we can and hopefully better in the competition. Um, so it's not a passive process, but you just always have to remember a lot of times when there's good ingredients, they will prove out eventually. You just have to hope to create the right environment where that can happen. Okay, most memorable opening day for you. It can be as a kid. Did you ever go to opening day as a kid? I don't think I did. No. Um, Zach Kelly went to he's because he has his first opening day. He went to Chipper Jones's last year. He went. That's his only opening day. Um, everyone has, you know. So was so if you weren't a kid, like what's your what was your favorite opening day? My favorite opening day. Um, huh, uh, Part was, of the let, let me let me guess. It was beef. It was uh, it was late July, two thousand twenty. No, I'm just kidding. Well, that was. I'm, I'm joking. Was very unique. Yeah, I'm joking. That was that was the opposite. We won big. We won big that day. Oh, but, I, yeah. um, you know, there's a couple that stand out. Actually, kind of ironically, one of them was uh, in 2018. Uh, the the oh the Joe Kelly game win over over the uh, over the Red Sox, and then the Red Sox never lost again after oh. that game. Hometown yeah. boy, Denard Span, it's a big triple. Um, let's see, that was very memorable. Um, uh, uh, yes. We, Cora I, brought that up the other day. I told him he's to bite his tongue when he says Joe Kelly failed in that game. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You could just look at it as Denard succeeded. That, um, that's that's true. I mean, I could I could give you one, but you weren't in Tampa yet. It was Theo's first opening day as a GM, 2003. I, I know this game. I wasn't there yet, but yeah. I know this so, game. So I was doing, um, I was doing the, uh, the cult classic literary work, Chasing Steinbrenner, where I followed around Theo and J.P. Ricciardi. And so I was sitting right behind Theo. He was In, in that year, um, he sat like behind the, the, the plate all the time, you know, which obviously that changed pretty quick. Um, but... Carl Crawford, like bullpen by committee. Yeah. Carl Crawford, uh, Perry Shumpert. Yeah. I could be wrong. I want to say in 2010, Carl also hit some kind of walk-off uh, for the Rays 2010 opening day. Funny thing about opening day, like you win on opening day, it feels like you're like 20-0. and 0, And you I lose know. and you feel like you're on a huge losing streak. Yeah, uh, you know, there's just so much that goes into it. You kind of have to remind yourself, whether it's good or bad, that's one oh. game. Oh, and it's uh, and and believe me, as a writer, because you know every, you have like eight writers from every organization, so you have to do like some story. Oh, listen, either all the pieces are coming together, this is exactly how it's supposed to fit, or 
Oh, look at this. Look at look yep. at this. Like, like, like that was uh 2018 was a good example. Forget about Joe Kelly. Cora was first year manager, and a lot of people were saying he doesn't know how to manage a bullpen. The game's too fast for him. Yeah. Like that's what they were saying. It's insane. Yeah, you know, hot takes and so forth. Yeah, yes, hot takes and so forth. Yeah. Um 2012 was pretty memorable. I thought it was a, a, a raise Yankees. And that was the, the first year we actually, you know, it's topic of conversation in this, in, in this chat. Uh, we rolled out some really aggressive shifting against the Yankees in the opening series, swept them and just so happened. They just hit so many rockets right in the shift. And of course there's New York. So like all the, everybody's losing their minds <laughs> and it was such a topic. I think that day we had a, I think, uh, Carlos Pena hit a grand slam off Sabathia, end up blowing the lead. We come back. I think he gets a, a game winning. I think it was a walk off hit off of Mariano. Uh, so it was a fun game. But that whole weekend, the Yankees were so frustrated. You know, we just you don't always that doesn't always work out like that when you shift. <laughs> but they happen to hit all these bullets right in the shift, and it became a national story because it had happened to a New York team. Uh, so that that was one to remember. I think those are a couple of the ones that uh, come to mind. I think the year before the home opener, we also beat up on the Yankees. That was fun. Oh, yeah, Tampa. I feel like has some good opening days. I mean, I don't know, but but like you said, it's 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 like the sky is falling, or it's the best thing ever. But that's what's great, you know. It's like it's 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 great. We have this one day, and we then you know we lower the heart rate a little bit later, and we realize oh, there's 161 more. So, yeah, uh, but you know what? That's part of it. Like on that day, I, I don't think anybody should feel sorry for for being a little jacked up. Um, if you're not like, what are we even doing here? What are we exactly? What do we do? So that's the last question. So as we head, this is the big baseballs and boring, like uh, let's get psyched for baseball. Um, as we head into the season, not only for yourself, um, not only for your kids who I know who are like super like awesome baseball fans not only for like your friends and everything, but the executives, the people that you see in the industry, do you get the sense that like this is because last year was a lockout, right? Last year, everyone is rushing and everyone, Oh, we got to get baseball back. But now you have the WBC. Now you have these unbelievably quick games. Now you have more personalities than ever. Do you get the sense that like, okay, here we go. This is going to be an awesome baseball seat. I know I'm being like, the MLB poster boy for like, you know, yay baseball. But I'm just saying, do you get that feel more than ever? Yeah, it feels that way. It feels like, hey, we're 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 back. And, you know, we've we we've sort of uh we've gotten a little bit of a glow up, right? We've done some things here to to try to make ourselves a little more appealing and and kind of move in the direction that we know we need to move. Uh it should be fun. Yeah. All right. Well this was fun. Thanks for doing it, man. Appreciate yeah. it. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.